Well, welcome, listeners. We're happy to be here today. We are having the Pain Reframed Recap Number Four. We're coming to you from actually Windsor, Colorado, home of High Hops Brewery. This is Pain Reframed. High Hops Brewery is an excellent brewery out here in uh, northern Colorado, and it's near and dear to my heart because Katie and Zach leading the helm out here. Uh, Katie, uh, we mentioned in an episode early on, uh, actually helped way back when my son was in high school. They helped move some equipment into Colorado physical therapy specialists at the time, now Colorado in motion. So now they've gone on to do great things, and uh, literally we're sitting here. We need to, I think, Jeff, paint the picture. Would you mind maybe painting the picture? Well, I mean, off to stage right we have the stage and actually there were some live tunes here about two hours ago so we just we intentionally missed it for the sake of the show but tim this is my home brewery i mean i live just down the street so this is really right in my stomping grounds my colorado in motion location is right down the road here so i mean folks we're sitting here we're talking about 6 30 at night we're at dusk we have a little bit of smoke from the montana fires covering the range that we normally get to see but it is making for a nice overcast afternoon i would say it's about 78 maybe a light breeze and i'm sitting here with a nice sour and i'm tim what'd you go with there i actually went with the zeus which is a, an american pale ale it's a solid one i'll probably move on to uh, the sour next because it was it was solid. Beautiful. Yeah, so we're sitting out here on the patio, and they have been uh, so nice to have us. So, Tim, we have a lot of material. We've had some outstanding shows here over the past uh, couple of weeks, and what do you say we dive in? I think we should. All right, folks. So for those of you who have been listening, this has been, I think it's been a bit of a turning point. Uh, what we're seeing is a lot of the greater medical community taking some interest in the show. And really, it's not the show they're taking interest in. It's the message. And I think that what we're getting for feedback is that, guys, we need to come together and get louder on this. And, and that is feedback Tim and I welcome. And I mean, Tim, I can't say enough about the doctors we've had on the show. I would agree with you. And I, I think it's interesting you said we need to get loud about this because our first doctor, uh, Melissa Cady, who's with the painoutloud.com online community. I mean, again, it's just so fun to feel the, that there's a groundswell of other people out there in the wilderness that are seeing the devastation of the way we manage pain in this country and are, are making a difference. I couldn't agree more. And Tim, I don't I don't want to call it a blessing that some of these physicians have had to undergo some some pretty nasty chronic pain experiences themselves, but both Dr. Katie and Dr. Hanscom, who we're going to talk about here in a minute, have had a past history of pain, and I think, unfortunately, sometimes it takes a personal experience to realize how messed up the system really is, and I think part of where Melissa Katie and, and, and David Hanscom get their passion is from exactly that. It's a first-person experience into sort of the disaster that our system has become. Absolutely. And I think that's sometimes where true empathy and understanding come from. And I think those voices are going to be the ones that, you know, begin to make change. And that's why I think having patients on coupled with these healthcare providers that are experience suffering uh, will really bring us, I hope, closer together and really towards solutions versus, you know, continuing to make the problem worse. Absolutely. And folks, speaking about solutions, one thing Tim and I want to keep encouraging you guys is to take action. And when, the, when these great speakers come on, we hope you're using their resources. So Tim mentioned Dr. Katie runs the painoutloud.com community. And if you've got folks who have stories to share, that's somewhere they can go and really feel a sense of camaraderie because it's patients and it's providers in that community. Beyond that, she has the book Pandemic. And that's actually how, how I got introduced to her work. 
was reading that book and I'm telling you guys from from both someone who's been in pain or someone treating it boy that is a really really informative and profound publication so if you get a chance look that stuff up but Tim I want to get into a few things that she said during the episode that that were just phenomenal I mean she was so energetic and so positive there were so many things to pick from but one of the lines that stuck out to me the most was what is under delivered is what is under reimbursed it's a harsh reality but it is one thoughts <laughs> well first of all it was right on and the thoughts are exactly that we have created a system where the more things are reimbursed the more we do them and it happens on a very subtle ways and it happens on very uh, serious ways and i think that's a message that all of us in this space of non-interventional space, because let's face it, it's the interventional procedures that get paid the most, whether it be surgery, whether it be injections, they get paid the most. And those that get paid the least are time. What happens then, if you have little time, then we will give you a, a pill because that's what we have time to do. The thing that needs to be valued the most, that of time, which requires listening and the ability to work with people, that does not get paid. You look at decreased reimbursements across all of the physical therapy industry. You look at the devaluing of those skills or those which were, were called alternative providers, right? Those were somehow of less value. And yet now, as the evidence begins to emerge, it's really those types of providers that are outside the healthcare system often that are the most valuable in the management of uh, persistent pain. Tim, I, I'm curious as a business owner, as a clinic owner, I'm proud of Melissa for stepping outside and saying, look, if, if the system can't provide it, I'm going to do this from a cash-based perspective. I'm going to, I don't want to say turn my back. I don't like that terminology, but I'm going to find a way to create a payment structure where I can do what I want to do for my patients. And how do Tim, how do you balance that at Colorado in Motion when you're thinking about taking insurance contracts or doing more cash pay? How do you guys balance doing what we need to do? Because we do that against the challenges of the insurance company. Is it a case-by-case basis? I mean, I'm hearing everyone saying they're going cash pay and out of network. Is the middle ground the right solution? I'm just curious for your thoughts on that. Oh, that's a complex question. And I mean, it, I think every place has perhaps has different answers. My thoughts on that is ultimately most businesses you have to be able to keep the lights on and you have to be able to provide service to your community. Uh, but to me, you can still do that in a way that holds true to your, your values. And you know, we were fortunate to start off in a manner that, you know, had low overhead, was direct one-on-one care. And frankly, the people we saw were primarily persistent pain patients because when you're the new kid in town, that's kind of what you see. So fortunately, we started building the business on this model of, you know, we just do longer appointment times, one-on-one care. And yet we were taking insurance and, and realizing that indeed it was a struggle. We never took a contract that was below the, quote, cost of doing business because that would drive the service down. So I think that basic structure of understanding the cost of of doing business and then only can't go lower than that. Interesting thing, like it goes back to that, what is under delivers, what is under reimbursed. And we basically said, we're going to do the right thing. And, but we had to grow very incrementally in order to do that. And I think we are fortunate because we were starting from scratch and I think it's much, much harder. And that's what we're seeing in healthcare, right? So we now know that imaging and interventions and surgery for spine pain is actively harming many patients. Let me repeat that. 
actively harming many patients. Yet the system hasn't changed because the reimbursement is so high. People continue to do it. So in some respects, I say we're fortunate. You know, it's like, uh, what was it, Bob Dylan, when you ain't got nothing, you ain't got nothing to lose. I mean, sometimes fortunate to come into a a space that way. That's awesome. Tim, I want to move on into talking about something she said that really stuck with me. And, and I, I've thought of this before, but I guess the fact that she gave it a term um, just made it stick with me. She talked about this idea of, of patients being diagnocentric. And this idea that, you know, the moment these folks get a word to describe their condition, it, it validates the, their process, their problem. You know what I mean? No, nobody wants to have, a, have an issue they can't name. The problem is, once you name it, they now identify with it. And now that becomes, and sometimes, I mean, you, you hear folks who have degenerative disc disease, it runs their life. The degenerative disc disease runs their life. I think, Tim, from my perspective, we have to be willing to not name. We have to be willing to say to patients, hey, this is going to be a process. We're going to get through this. We have strategies. But I think once you start giving a lot of labels, people start grabbing onto those and they have a hard time letting go. Once you have degenerative disc disease, it's there for the rest of your life. How can you recover from that? What are your thoughts on this issue of patients being diagnocentric and maybe maybe providers being diagnocentric? They want to give the patient an answer, so they do. They give it a label. Well, I'm going to go directly to the point because I still think they need to understand why do I feel this way. So I think you can still give a label, but I think you just need to be very thoughtful and careful of what that label is because the fact is something is amiss. You wouldn't be sitting in front of me if something's amiss. Now, it's typically multifactorial. That's way too complicated. We need to have some label. So I've kind of gone to this idea of, you know, whatever term you may use, a sensitive nervous system that really this is a nerve problem and it's an overstimulation of the nervous system. But the good news is it's it's a reversible process. I tend to use the word process and I do talk about the nervous system because ultimately that that's a label too. It's a metaphor of, you know, this very complex system. But to me, it's it's less threatening, though we probably should really, you know, do some research and say, is that less threatening? <laughs> or is it just my bias that I, I think it's less threatening? That's a great point. I think you're right, you're right in that categorizing someone or helping them understand where they fit um, is doable, but you have to be really careful and watch your mouth. Because I think once you start saying that folks have things that sound very permanent, I think the overall optimism that patient can have on them coming out of it goes down. Absolutely. And everything, life is a journey and things are reversible. And I think that's clearly the message. You weren't like this at point A, B, whatever that point is. This is a reversible process. The timeline might be longer, but it's a reversible process. So I I always like to think in those terms that the body went through a, a, a downturn, but now it's on the upturn. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. I love the optimism. Tim, before we move on from Melissa Katie's episode, one thing she brought up that I don't think I know enough about is this integration of sleep and pain. I have not looked into this much in the research, but boy, everyone keeps bringing it up. We're going to talk about Dr. David Hanscom down the road. It seems that this connection between not getting proper rest and sleep. In fact, uh, I believe David had actually mentioned that he was he was aware of some research that was actually showing a causation direction, meaning that it isn't necessarily the pain that prohibits sleep, but in fact, that that, that sleep deprivation issues create pain. H- have you have you followed this connection in practice and research? Where are you at with that? Well, at the risk of being a little bit of a 
irritant to you, Jeff. Perhaps um, you, you, you're, you're always are, some level of an irritant to me, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> your kids are now grown up, but I would suggest that there are points in, when they're less than three years of age that um, you had some sleep deprivation. If not, I'm going to talk to your wife and get on her, but you had sleep deprivation. And my sense is during that time, you're a little less joyful. You're a little more irritable. And you know what? You're more sensitive to little stuff that was bothering you. You know, I... I, I <laughs> I'm going to be honest in saying that my wife did the lion's share um, of the evening activities, perhaps even more than I'm comfortable admitting here on the show. But at the risk of bringing up a subject that has that has brought conflict into the home historically, I wonder if she felt more, because I, I, I'm being serious, she, she was up a lot. She breastfed the whole time, year and a half for both kids. She did the vast majority of that. And I would be so curious to ask her in an evening where, where things are going well, whether she feels that she had a lot of heightened pain, because I think that would make sense. Yeah, I think people do. I mean, I know personally, you know, you don't have a good night's sleep. You just, your your nervous system is not in its best state. So we, we kind of know that, but I think the cool research or suggesting that truly there is a causative factor. And I, I mean, we can make a bunch of hypotheses, but and again, we, sleep is renewing and, you know, the body's ability to renew, if that is, you know, taken out, it's very problematic. I mean, personally, I mean, in my father was a victim of his POW and uh, solitary confinement and and the like and tortured in Korean War but what he said was the absolute worst and he shared very little the absolute worst was sleep deprivation and I think that you know again that's a far end of the spectrum but again it's been known for generations that if you want to hurt someone you deprive them of their sleep well that's a great perspective I tell you what Tim I'm going to post this episode like I do all of them on the pain reframed Facebook page and I'm going to look into this a little bit I'm going to post some articles um, exploring that connection because I think it's somewhere I could learn more it makes sense intuitively but I'm going to look a little more into the research so um, thanks for Dr. Katie for bringing that up so guys I just want to say a huge thank you for Dr. Katie for, for reaching out and engaging with us. And I tell you, she's been wonderful um, on Twitter and social media following the episode. She's connected us with numerous people and has really been a great, a great voice. So huge thanks to Melissa Katie. Remember, her book is her book is called uh, Pandemic and her online community is painoutloud.com. Moving on to one of our, really has become one of our friends now. And this is Dr. Cheryl Keller Capone. And you'll remember that Cheryl came on earlier in our episodes and talked about some of her history with chronic pain and really talked about some of the mismanagement and some of the challenges of going through the system. This time, Tim, she came on again and talked more about sort of how she has sustained her progress. And I thought that was wonderful. And again, for patients who are listening today, if you have not went back and heard Cheryl's episode, please do because she's somebody who's went through it and has really developed some awesome, very authentic and honest and not unrealistic strategies and how to manage her progress. And so one thing she brought up, Tim, that I thought was great was that here she is talking about how this triathlon that she did this summer was going to be kind of kind of her her, her big announcement or statement of victory from over chronic pain. But but she qualified that by saying she gave herself permission in advance not to do it. And I think that sort of grace it, with ourselves it is not seen often enough in, in our hard charging society. A, any thoughts on, on how she phrased that? That was one of my favorite parts because, again, we work with a lot of trail runners, uh, athletes, uh, high end, high end intensity people. We're goal-oriented folks. We know in rehabilitation, setting goals matters. You set goals, you achieve, it matters, you get better. That's what I love about this. It's the yin and yang, you know, of life that, yes, but 
you know, there's some downside sometimes based on where I've been through. And it's that permission to understand I can push, but I now understand my body and I understand myself enough to know that, okay, this is my current point. That's not my future point, but this is my current point, and I'm going to give myself permission to do that, to, to step out, because I am now know my body better. And that's how I kind of heard it, and that, I'm, that's going to force me to reframe a lot of my discussions with folks to say, you know, giving permission to say, because it's always about, we talk about graded exposure, graded activity, and those things are wonderful, but I think it's, the way I look at it, it's kind of like, now we're moving into the professional athlete of chronic pain. And what I mean by that, it's a different gig when you're now working at a higher level and some of the activities or the processes or principles that we use in lower on in the process may not be appropriate as people progress further into persistent chronic pain. They're, they're recovering. And then I think we need to really step back and think, is that the right goal? If it is, do we still give permission at know thyself? You're lacking sleep. Uh, you just got sent overseas on your job and you're fatigued and it's the week before the race and life didn't happen the way it was supposed to. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I can learn a lot from that because I know with my patients, I'm always encouraging meeting goals, meeting goals. I, I think I, as a personality, have that maybe issue a little bit of, of also not saying, hey, and if you don't, What's honorable here is not always moving up. What's honorable is being willing to ride this roller coaster that's trending up. You know what I mean? But we have to realize there's going to be dips and valleys, and that's okay. It's expected. Well, I think it goes right into that second key point that she had of mindfulness and that ability to really understand. Mindfulness is really pausing and listening and being mindful of thyself and not judgmental of thyself. I mean, that's what I'm learning a lot with, you know, just meditation and stuff. It's just stop, check the judgment at the door and just be present. And it may not be the right time. And that's very different than to say, no, we have to exercise because exercise is medicine will get us out of chronic pain. But sometimes a stretch goal, it may not be the right time for that stretch goal. That doesn't say, hey, we got to, you know, we're going to stick with this consistent plan. But if the stretch goal, it's not the right time, that's okay. You're in this. You're not just a believer, but you're living this. I mean, you make time to, to have quiet time, to be reflective. I mean, you make space in your busy life. You make space for that. You value that. For somebody who is totally foreign to this. How do you broach that mindfulness in the clinic when you have somebody who, so I'm from the rural Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and those people out here, people are much more, I would say, in tune with, with those things being normal. Up there, not so much. But I'm sure even here, you have folks who, I mean, meditation and yoga, these things are, are way out there from their spectrum. How do you begin to have that conversation? I mean, I, I'm curious as a clinician, how do you phrase that? Well, first of all, I'm fortunate because I grew up in rural South Dakota and with people like that. And and frankly, I had a, a, I would say, not the right perspective around those types of activities, meaning, you know, I was judgmental negatively towards that. <laughs> I think I, I get people, a lot of folks, you know, I try to because I understand that. And I think broaching is a good word. I think it really starts with, can you just sit and, and breathe for a few minutes? And if so, that's really the start. Just like graded exposure to exercise, 
we have graded exposure to things like this. So let's just start with some breath work. And your conversation, Tim, with that patient might be, you know, hey, we're going to do this because this is going to calm things down in general. Yeah, it's not. It's like everything, right? It's the story that gets people a little weirded out. Certain activities, whether it be sitting in a space and just breathing, when we when we put place meaning onto them, for instance, oh, that's against my spiritual belief system, for instance, uh, then it then we resist it. So again, it goes back to the label of what you're doing. No, I'm just asking, let's try this in the clinic. Oh, sit right there and let's do this. And then explain it in a way that fits our value system. Because you know what? You know, we don't really know. And we can explain everything if we want to be very bio. I mean, your belief system may be very different than that. And you can explain it there. And you, can, you know those people that I kind of go with those. And it kind of goes back to great practitioners are really theater artists, right? They, they quickly understand what the audience is looking for. You mirror that in that audience. So I think that's, that, that helps by failing a lot meaning being older. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true too because I see so many folks try to memorize the way they're going to pitch this stuff and then they go in and they do that. And like you said, it's really the, the expert understands the nuances. The expert sees those subtleties. And that goes back to Adrian Lowe's great quote. That it, what, what did he say? He says, you, it has to be, you live it, breathe it, but it has to be the essence of who you are. Something of that nature. You can't, Understanding chronic pain and persistent pain and pain neuroscience, it's like anything. A script doesn't really work. You have to embed it in your DNA. And that's just, and as we're seeing, it's kind of the DNA of being human. It backs to the humanities. You embed it in the DNA of you being human. And then you're authentic with that patient. But your, your story has to change to meet to meet the patient or because that's really what it's about. That's, you know, that's how we can be of some use. I love it. Awesome. Well, huge thanks to Cheryl for coming on the show again. She's been wonderful. I mean, she's been a gigantic supporter from day one and just a huge thanks. We're going to continue tracking Cheryl and anytime she wants to jump back on and offer more gems, we'd love to have her. So I think, Tim, before we, before we sign off on the episode, we've got, we've got a third guest we need to have a conversation about. Um, this is our most popular episode so far on Pain Reframed. I think it's because of the alarming authenticity. Um, that we were exposed to. So I'm introducing here Dr. David Hanscom. And, and Dr. David Hanscom is uh, a senior spine surgeon out of Seattle, out of, out of the Pacific Northwest. He has the website and book by the same name, Back in Control. So if you go to backincontrol.com, you can see both the resources there as well as the book is there. And this was an incredible story. So first of all, for us to be able to connect with a spine surgeon who is hearing and resonating this much with our message, I think it really speaks volumes that this community is going to come together. If we remain open to being multidimensional and multidisciplinary, this community is ready for this message. So just starting off, I guess the most, the, the most alarming thing he said was the truth. He talked about the success rates because he was a high volume spine surgeon. I mean, he, he talked about how he felt bad if he couldn't find a reason to do surgery on somebody. Those were his exact words. And he said the reality was when the data came out, it showed that when you, when you operate on someone, when you, when you do spine surgery on someone who has chronic pain, the chance of them getting better is 20 to 30%. 
and the chance of them getting worse, not only not improving, but getting significantly worse, is closer to 50%. Tim, what are your, I, mean, I know you're aware of this data, but what are your thoughts and what are your thoughts on the way he presented that to us? I almost left the podcast because I was like, you know, it was so refreshing to hear that voice and that authentic voice stating that. And it's like, finally, I mean, here's the data and the data has been out there. This isn't new stuff. This is, as he mentioned, you know, 15 years ago. And and that's what was so alarming about it. I, that's why I hope everyone listening right now will please send that episode to, you know, 10 people that you love and care about. I think it, it speaks to just slow down this train that you, we can actively harm people when we do things on folks that have a neurological problem and we're trying to, you know, somehow take a little piece of this or that or worse, you know, screw some things into something of the, in their spine with this thought, truly a belief that uh, it may help them. I was actually thinking, was I like that in maybe some of the alternative therapies because there was not rigorous science behind them. Even though I came from an osteopathic background and tradition, I had a pause in my career where I didn't embrace that because uh, the science wasn't there. And yet, relatively, we weren't actively harming people in the same way. And that doesn't discount that we should have evidence to do something. But even if there's stuff with no evidence, if it prevents people from going on to places that are actively harming them, I'll take that any day. That's so true. And I, you know, I, I love that you're saying, Tim, that we need to get this information out to the people, share it with 10 folks that you know and love. Because when we asked, it was amazing to hear David talk about how we are all aware as surgeons that for example disc degeneration does not cause pain we're 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 aware of it it's out there i know it they know it and he spoke of that yeah it's the number one reason that spine surgery is performed in the united states and he talked about that not only because we asked him flat out well the information's out there is it getting better and he said absolutely not it's going the other direction where spine surgeons are now being trained to to do surgery on day one Right. And, and they're now looking at this as a growth industry that by 2020, there's going to be over a million fusions a year. Not only is it not getting better, Tim, it's getting worse. And that's where I'm literally begging right now that people who are listening to this put it on their social media pages, not for you and I, for them. For people deserve to know that this is, is not the direction it should go. And I'm getting more and more convinced, Tim, that the medical system, because what's under reimbursed is underperformed, right? I'm more and more convinced the medical system is not going to pivot. We have to educate people to make and make decisions. When he said, what, four level, five level, six level fusion, I think he said, maybe it was seven. I was visceral. It was seven. I was viscerally. It hit me. I was nauseated when he said that. I mean, it was beyond imaginable. And that's why I say, you know, we have a role. In order to make a change in society, it always starts at the grassroots. David said it. I mean, our folks have said it along the lines. I mean, we have to speak out and tell people about that. And people do listen to those that they trust. And that's why it's really more important that you send it to people you love and our friends and, and whatnot, because they take that information more from you than, than from other sources. So I, it really is a call to action at a minimum, you know, to those that you care about. And the reality is he has the numbers to show that 
he was once a high volume spine surgeon. I mean, that's where he came from. And now he's doing surgery on 4.5% of his patients. And he has data to show that when he takes on the anxiety, the depression, the fear, the neurological issues that we know are causative of persistent pain, the sleep issues, that now when they do surgery at the end of that, when they, when they exhaust the big guns first, that by the way have absolutely no side effects whatsoever, and then put surgery in the right place, his success rates are fantastic. It goes back to, you know, Dr. Jack Youngblood, uh, unfortunately a neurosurgeon that I was ran into early on in the, the early mid 80s when I was a, a young physical therapist in the Army. You know, at the risk of offending some folks, he used to say, you know, Lieutenant Flynn, do not send me any of your back pain patients unless I see urine going down their leg and I can hear their foot slapping down the hallway. That's a true story. And you hear that and you think, oh, this guy wasn't empathetic. No, that was not it at all. He just knew that neurosurgery of the spine was designed to prevent further harm. There was an active neurological process that was harming function. Pain was never mentioned. It was about function and the neurological status of that patient. And that's where we went amiss. If we just took pain out of the picture and we got back to the fundamentals of looking at the neurological system, and it is it going south. If it's the neurological system is latent, We'll, we'll tread water. But if the neurological system is going south and it's causing active functional harm to the patient, then we need to intervene. And that's such, such a different perspective than what we're currently seeing. Tim, I, I could not agree more with every word of that. And what I want patients to do is that if they haven't heard that episode, go back. And then what I want them to realize is what David said very clearly was what we did not expect when we changed our structure, meaning putting surgery at the end and treating so many of the psychosocial components that are a huge factor in, in ongoing back pain, was the vast majority of our patients canceled surgery because they got better. And what I want everyone on this podcast to realize is that what they are finding is when you treat this stuff through non-risky, non-invasive, holistic viewpoints, people get dramatically better in the majority of cases. This is not to say surgery isn't useful so you're in trouble. Surgery is not useful so, so there's nothing you can do. This is to say surgery is not needed as often as we're doing it because other things are so much more effective. Right on. That summarized it well, Jeff. And, you know, I think we can't leave this episode without talking about this idea that David spoke so honestly about, that idea of, of his physician suicide discussion. To say that he, I think he said 17, I believe, colleagues had committed suicide. And he also very eloquently said that the relationship of suicide, that people actually enter the healthcare system to help people, but we're now in a, quote, system or a, as we say, a medical industrial complex that actually is actively harming the providers. It's almost incomprehensible, you know, to think about what has happened and to think that the critical components of what we can do to help somebody are being taken away from us. But Tim, I think ultimately this is a call to action for us as providers is don't let it go. We know what the most comp important components are. Form that relationship with your patient. Take the time to listen, right? We know you want to get to your interventions. Ultimately, if you look at the data, that relationship between you and the patient, them feeling heard, them feeling as though they've been understood and believed, them feeling as though there's a way out, 
This is the bedrock of, of what we're supposed to be doing. And I'd beg all providers, don't let that be ripped out of your hands. You know, above all else, stay, stay with that. And not only will it help those that you're fortunate to serve, it will actually help you. That's so true. I love it. You know, Larry Benz has been amazing in, in recommending books to me. And he's recommended so many on empathy. And it's incredible how looking at it that way it's not to be selfish but it's also to realize if you're not where you need to be as a person you can't help others and a huge part of avoiding that burnout is to developing that legitimate empathy and that comes through building legitimate relationships authenticity reigns authenticity reigns well tim they're putting the umbrellas up here at high hops um we've, we've been out here for a little while now I'm pretty sure we can still get one more. I have not heard last call. This was three incredible episodes. I want to say thanks to all the listeners because you guys are putting us at a spot now. Many of you have cried out for years that this needs to be multidisciplinary and it needs to be doctors talking to athletic trainers, talking to acupuncturists, to PTs, to chiropractors. We hear you. And we are going to create a national voice of multidisciplinary discussion around how we're mismanaging pain. And you guys are giving us that voice. And the physicians are coming out and they're recognizing that. And they want to make it a louder voice. And really, ultimately, it's a thanks to our listeners. Absolutely. And I just want to echo that, that let's be loud with their others in your community that are feeling the same way. And let's not, you know, point fingers at this and that. Let's reach out to those like-minded providers because ultimately we need a community you need a community in your local space and there's people like you there you don't know about it so throw this podcast to them and say hey what do you think of this and those that say huh i'm interested then you go out for coffee or a beer and and that's where the connections happen and that's where you change your community that's how we change it. I mean, guys, bottom line is we're pack animals. We're pack animals. We, 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 we need to develop a tribe and we need to change the tone. And we're going to make that happen. And I'm, I'm thrilled and honored to be a part of it. So thank you all so much. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, we developed recently a Facebook page called Pain Reframed. So please hop on Facebook and find that group. And we're happy to let you into it. We put all the episodes there. We're sharing resources there. It's another spot where we can have the engaging, ongoing conversation. As always, you can find us on ISP Institute. Um, we are there on their blog. Um, we are always on EIM's blog as well. Tim and I are everywhere. Find Tim and I on Twitter. Well, I would just encourage everyone to you know check out ISPinstitute.com and we're going to have Adrian Lowe back on soon. And just knowing that th- some of these leaders in the field that we've been fortunate enough to connect with are, are out there and there's materials there that you can share with your team, share with the community. One of the things I'm really excited about is you know getting this education into the high schools down in junior high. We're going to talk more about that in upcoming episodes, but it's just been a pleasure. And what more with the sun going down can we say? Yeah, sometimes you feel disconnected. It's a podcast. We don't connect personally. This is deeply personal for Tim and I. It's deeply personal for Adrian. It's deeply personal for ISPI. This is something we want to see changed. And your level of engagement recently is giving us a voice. And so if, if that continues, um, this is going to go upward and onward, baby. And we're going to connect with a lot of folks that are decision makers. And we're going to see some, we're going to be of some significant use. So with that being said, everybody have an awesome evening, morning, afternoon. Whenever you connected with us, please hop on Facebook, find us, hop on ISPI, hop on EIM. Let's go ahead and make some change together. Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming at ispinstitute.com.